Welcome back to Black and White Movies. It has been a while. We are living life under quarantine. I am Jared, and I'm here with... And we're doing the Zoom thing. We are, I'm a man of social distancing, but we're social distancing even more today. Uh, And of course, because we're living with the COVID-19. How's it been for you? Um, It's been perfect. Yeah, I'm sure you're lying there to some extent. We're we're dealing though. We're all dealing. But we're going to do the thing we always do, which is uh, compare and contrast two movies. And today we're looking at 2007's Stomp the Yard and 1978's Animal House. And uh, I'm going to ask you right off the bat, Danielle, you suggested this matchup. It was a little confusing to me at first. What made you suggest this head-to-head of Animal House and Stomp the Yard? You suggested Animal House. I was just talking about uh, Stomp the Yard. So if you'll recall. I didn't suggest Animal House, did I? I've never seen Animal House. Yeah, you did. I suggested <laughs> Animal House? So we were talking about HBCUs. Okay. How uh, the Black College situation uh, was a thing. Um, okay. And fraternities and what that life was like. And I suggested Stomp the Yard. You're and absolutely then, right. And then you said Animal House. I was like, I don't know. I've never seen it. And uh, so we'll see. You're absolutely right. I totally forgot suggesting that. Um, So for the uh, white audience at home or those who don't know, um, not myself, obviously, but what is the, what is an HBCU? Historically black colleges and universities. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, and of course, Stomp the Yard takes place at Truth University, the famous Truth University. That's a real school, right? No, of course not. That's fictional. <laughs> I know that too. I found that out through Google. So I was like, oh, oh that's Yeah, of- like when we were kids, I thought Hillman College was a thing. I wanted to go to Hillman. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, where they went in different world, right? That's right. Yeah, I tried to apply there. I couldn't find it online. <laughs> you went already. You didn't even know. I had my flip-up glasses and everything. You were ready. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so Stomp the Yard, uh, you, let, you want to start with that one? Talking on this movie? I love it. I I actually own Stomp the Yard. So, of course, I have to um, give that up right away. I went to see it at the movies probably three times. Um, And that was because different people wanted to go see it, hadn't seen it. You know, you have your movie partners. And it was definitely something that I wanted to see multiple times. Sometimes you go to see a movie and you you can't bear to take it yet another time. Um, but this one was definitely um, something that rang true, brought back a lot of nostalgia and, and hope for nostalgia uh, in terms of just wanting that uh, black college experience growing up on the West Coast of America. Um, it's just a different it's a different understanding and a, a, a prideful thing that, you know, is something that black people have the option to to do and white people is is actually open it's now um actually a lot more diverse than it used to be but they came out of need so when stomp the yard came out it was um something that was very familiar uh and you know it was you know very one of those films that kind of it was a feel-good movie you're not really expecting anything super deep and it wasn't it, it totally when with every single uh, preconceived thought of what a college film, romance, happy trajectory, um, 
went and I, I just enjoyed the stepping, the dancing, uh, coming from that background and it fit in well. It, it, it was very nostalgic and reminiscent of School Days, which was one of my favorite Spike Lee films. So um, I thought it was um, a fun a fun ride. Yeah, I was going to say to me, the the highlight of this movie is the dancing. Uh, say what you want about the plot. It wasn't, it didn't stick out as all that engaging the characters, the plot, but what the, what stands out in this movie is all of the excellent dancing. And for me, I had never heard of the stomp the yard step kind of step stepping dancing. It was, I was not familiar to me. It looks a lot like um, country line dancing to me at first. So, but, uh, but now seeing it, I can see, this whole new world. And so the dancing is very visceral and exciting. And I can imagine why you'd keep going to the theater to see it up on the big screen. Well, having seen it in real life, it was something that was kind of like, again, nostalgic. Um, here in LA, there was a thing, um, they used to have a stomp show or excuse me, a, this is, this is how how familiar I am with the Greek system. Um, they used to have a step show it at Long Beach uh, State. So Cal State Long Beach used to do one every year. And so everybody would converge at Cal State Long Beach and all of the uh, black fraternities and sororities would go and they would do those step shows that you see, you know, in the culmination, which we'll get to in the end. Um, and they were, you know, really, really, really elaborate in terms of, you know, people coming together and you get to see these things. So um, Stomp the Yard overall though, um, it was simplistic. I think it was um, one of the things that stood out to me was the the masculinity within it, which you don't see any anymore in anything. Um, and it was refreshing, and I was okay with it. I feel like uh, we've uh, we've disallowed men to be men <laughs> um, uh, in a lot of ways, and that's same thing with Animal House. I, that was, uh, you know, when you look at older films, you start to see like. Hey, is that a, you know, have we just kind of like completely washed away um, what that means, that that specific um, journey of, of being a man and what it takes to grow up in this world to be male? Yeah. And you are you talking about DJ's experience, how he's he's kind of dealing with um, he's pursuing a romance with April, who is kind of his nemesis's um, girl at that moment. And he the way he approaches her is he's a little bit relentless and um, he defines Not so much that way. Um, I think that was a little, uh, that's a standard, you know, movie uh, plot kind of. No, mm. I'm, I'm referring to the camaraderie of the, the fraternities themselves. Mm. So the purpose of the sorority or the sororities for females and the fraternities for men is to have a brotherhood to, um, you know, find work, find meaning, uh, volunteer, give back within your communities and, and what that means. And a lot of uh, men may not have good role models if they have fathers and, and, and uncles and grandfathers, they may not be the best role models. And so sometimes that's the first time you get to actually from what I understand from my Greek <laughs> friends, um, you get to meet other men on your level doing the same thing you're doing and going heading towards the same direction. So mm -hmm. I enjoyed watching that. And, and in contrast to what I saw with Animal House, which was more of a 
party feel good you know they know they're going to be the masters of the universe so it didn't really lean into like the importance of it whereas with yeah this, it was more instrumental it was how how you get to be successful yeah we see that at the end uh, even though they're humongous uh fuck-ups they have the yeah. end credit uh slates where they make sure to point out that bluto becomes a senator and they all go on to leave exactly. wonderful lives down too right like uh, Whereas the opposite is true, if you imagine someone coming out of a uh, HBCU, they still face all the challenges that a black man would face in society. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, HBCUs are responsible for probably some uh, ungodly number, like 80% uh, of black doctors, uh, 90%. You know, it's, it's really high um, in terms of churning out those actual professionals. So there is something to be said about going and um, working within an environment that you're insulated from kind of like how white people get to be in this whole country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in in the college of animal house, um, I'm forgetting the name of the college offhand, but the college of animal house, (laughs) what's it called? A Faber college. Yeah. So Faber college is also a kind of a whites only college, but I think it's more just by default rather than, they they wouldn't have stated that, but it was just kind of because they're all all had white privilege. Pretty much, uh, I I pointed that out, of course, in my notes was that yeah, the only person you see is the the shout performance, right? Yeah, servers at the frat house. I was like, wait, wait. That's exactly yeah. So the only time you see black people is they're serving white people or they're allowing white people to seem cool by enjoying their music. Yes. And if you look at it, this is, this takes place in 1968, even though it's, or 60. It was shot in seven, it was released in 78, but it takes place in 62. 62. So yeah, we hadn't even got the right to vote. So that is exactly in what capacity, um, you know, it doesn't really state where uh, geographically the colleges in the country, or maybe I didn't care enough to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't matter um, north or south. What difference does it, does it make? Um, at in nineteen sixty two, there were a set of rules. Um, there were two different Americas, right? Yeah. yeah. But I don't think the movie Animal House was smart enough to know it was commenting on on that racial disparity at all, and it even kind of uses uh, black men as a joke when the the white kids go to the black club and the black men intimidate the white kids and kind of steal their dates. And you're, it's supposed to be a joke, like, ha ha, these men are threatening because they're large. And then the movie has to make a point of showing the white women walking home afterwards, upset that their dates left them there, but they don't seem, it's like, what, did you just have a nice night out dancing with some black gentlemen? It didn't seem like they were brutalized or that threat was realized in any meaningful way they seem fine walking home <laughs> yeah the let's go back to it let's go back to the the top of this because yes um i think that you're right it, they had no idea that they were reinforcing or that they were being very um you know standard it was standard mm-hmm. for the day i guess um which if you just give me a second, I don't know why it needed to be 1962 because 1978, 1962, same shit to me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, it could have been either way because it didn't, it's not like it went into the future 
uh, to except for the end credits to show what they end up becoming, I guess, present day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so unless it was trying to make that kind of statement, like this was a time, you know, when America was great. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, we had the freedom to do whatever we want, treat, say, whatever we wanted, act a fool or, you know, um, whatever, and and know that the world was still ours. Yeah. That part is kind of like um, what you're saying with the ladies coming home. It was just kind of like, yeah. yeah, why did you leave that open with no kind of context? But in a comedy, can you expect anything like that? And I think they did it as a period piece largely because the white privileged filmmakers went to college probably around close to that time. And, you know, they're all very privileged white men hearkening back, like you said, almost like a MAGA thing. Like if you said it in 78 post civil rights where people are more aware and uh, uh, (laughs) you can't be as un-PC, they wouldn't have called it PC at the time, but they couldn't have had that that kind, just reveled in the white privilege fun kind of. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because yes, these producers, even though they're, you know, not well known, I guess. I mean, Dr. Egon, of course, Ghostbusters, he was he was fairly well known. But in terms of their work, they were very well known and their children have gone off to make wonderful quote unquote movies, which is great. Um uh, the director, John Landis, he went on to make uh, several iconic movies and they've been able to garner such, um, you know, really acclaim wealth, I'm sure, um, within the business with just being in the right place at the right time. And in and, and, and stark contrast to the only person you know going forward coming out of um, Stomp the Yard is probably Will Packer, who has done yeah. wonderful things and is the billion dollar man. But he's one. He's a dime in a dozen. Right. I've seen the the actor who uh, played April in a lot of things. Um, oh, Megan yeah, Good. Good has been around uh, from the beginning of Eve's Bayou. You know, she's but but she's well known in in black community. She's one of our stars. Right. She's not necessarily a household name when it comes to. Um, the mainstream film and television industry. Um, We saw um, Columbus Short, who, you know, unfortunately, uh, they all kind of self-destructed. So Chris Brown, Columbus Short, uh, Brian White, uh, unfortunately, the list goes on. They literally self-destructed. And I don't know what that says about the industry, um, how it treats um, Black men or, or talent. Uh, these days, but they're, you know, Columbus Short in particular, he had a a very meaty role on um, Scandal for a couple seasons um, before he really, like, blew up, right? Meaning, (laughs) not not a good way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) blew out, I guess. Yeah. Which is sad because I thought he was very talented. Well, I, I was not disappointed to see Chris Brown appear and disappear from this movie quickly, though. I'm not the largest fan of Chris Brown. And um, you can also tell his dancing wasn't quite on par with the other people featured in the movie. Chris Brown was, um, you know, I like, so, okay, we're going to have to take a sidebar. Okay. Chris Brown, R. Kelly, Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. the list goes on. They're all uh, creeps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but time and place. So I have a difficult time 
separating something that was good within the time frame, mm-hmm. looking back and just coloring it and erasing everything, every uh, thing that somebody has done because of what has re- become a result uh, of what it, whatever uh, has transpired in the in the future. <laughs> um, so I don't though out the baby with the bathwater. No offense, Jared. Um, I totally can segment myself and say, you know what? For this, Chris yeah. Brown was 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 very. He was a very uh, endearing character in the beginning to open and set that stage with. I totally um, rocked with the fact that he was a little brother and he was trying to, uh, you know have some sort of moment and say, Hey, you know, and bring him, have a come to Jesus, mm-hmm. but, but that didn't work out. And it, it worked out for the film. Yeah. Now <laughs> cut to uh, all the tattoos and, and, you know, I, we can go on with the self-destruction. Um, no, he, he's an idiot, but. Well, if you're talking cancel culture for me, it's like, yeah, R Kelly was a harder one for me because I actually like a lot of his music. Chris Brown, I just was never, a fan of his music, so it was a little easy for me to just be like, "All right, I don't, I don't yeah, need to." I don't to. think I was a fan of his. Cult. I don't think I was a fan of his music at all either. Um, I am definitely a, a fan of his talent. I thought he was very talented and mm-hmm. could have been a lot more. Or kid, you know, he was. He had. He is not even was. He is a, a big star. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm much older, so. <laughs> well, he had a way in this movie of looming large in the movie without actually having a lot of screen time. We're referring to how he he did character. His character is DJ's brother, and he gets killed early in the movie. Um, over some he gets shot over because you know how dancers like to break out into real violence like all the time so he gets shot over a dance feud and killed and so you, we only see him beyond that in in flashbacks so he didn't have a lot of shooting time on this movie but his character got to kind of loom large over the whole uh, thing yeah, well, you're not supposed to make me laugh over you, but yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, because dancing always breaks out in fights. Well, that, you know, that always gets me. Ever since like West Side Story, there's all these movies where we're supposed to believe that there's we're living this universe where the art of dancing uh, it turns into kind of real machismo violence, and I just don't buy that. I think only in a Hollywood movie with kind of actors and performers who take themselves so seriously can they kind of believe that we're going to find violence coming out of passionate dancing. Well, I think competition, no matter what, just because it's dancing doesn't mean it has any less passion behind it. Um, And that's coming from a dancer. I was never competitive in terms of dancing or anything like that. So uh, I only did it for art. You're competitive Mm -hmm. within your troupe. So you want to be the best within your dance group. Um, Not to the point of, uh, taking it back to what was our you last? You wouldn't go shooting someone over yeah, over yeah, like I, a back alley dance party competition. Yeah. Nor am I rolling out marbles on the stage of a of a you know Vegas show. Yeah, um, but 
<laughs> um, exactly. That was um. What, what movie was that? A strip. Uh, some strip. The stripper movie. We, but just, we just talked about it. Yeah. So. But no, I mean, so competition does breed, and and so of course in Hollywood, everything gets taken to the next step, yeah. next level. Yeah. You know, of course, I just reference one of my favorites, Beat Street. You know, where you going down in the subways? You know, Michael mm-hmm. Jackson and Bad. You know, everybody battles in the subways with dance. Like, come on. <laughs> Jared, I don't know what you're talking about. That happened. That's the thing. Well, can I tell you, I'm, uh, can I take a moment to brag? Because I was a dancer myself. My, my dance style was kind of Bay Area 90s rave dancing. Nice. And, um, I, and it has, actually has a connection to this movie because in the end of Stomp the Yard at the dance, one of like his finishing move dances that gets everyone like, whoa. And I don't remember if this was the Chris Brown move, but it's that move where the lower half of his body is stiff and the upper half is spinning around like this. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about it. That was my move. And oh, I, they jacked you, huh? And I'll, I'll edit in a picture here to prove that. I came in third place in a dance contest uh, with that move, that move is the one that got me to third place. And I'll put a nice. picture of that up there. Um, and I, I was upset. I didn't get first, but I didn't go shoot the people that got in first at that dance. But, um, but I'm telling you just, just to brag, that was my move. I called it the hurricane. And if I, it, my back would not allow me to do the hurricane for the folks right now, but I did it much better than they did it in this movie, Stomp the Yard. I did it faster okay. and in a lot of, a lot of spins. Well, I guarantee it was better for sure. Well, I, I want to go ahead and take my moment to brag because I think this is why it touched me so much in the first place. I definitely lived my life as a dancer in high school. And my thing was the windmill, you know, the, the windmill kicks. So okay. it, was, it was a spiral turn with your legs propelling mm-hmm. you around and around in a circle really fast. So, hey, we could have had a, a, a duo. Who knows? Yeah. So back to Animal House. One of the things that I thought was very interesting was the fact that these teenagers were parentless, if you notice, except Mm. for the girl who was 13 years old. (laughs) Um, There was no reference to parenting whatsoever. And I didn't know whether, and and, and, in contrast, you know, um, parenting was a very huge part of Stomp the Yard, Mm. even though they were surrogates. Um, And that, you know, to me, I wonder if that's a cultural thing, because, um, you know, when I went to college, you know, I was very in touch with my family all the time. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't living at home. I was living in the dorm experience, but I just was, it it stood out to me that it was, they took it as a time to be degenerates, you know, drinking beer, smoking marijuana, having sex and everything like that. And like, yeah, that's, I guess that's what college is for, but wasn't my experience. It wasn't the experience of anybody that I know. I didn't go wild out like that. Yeah. I mean, there was a time and space that was, uh, speaking of black colleges, uh, Freaknik, which was a thing we will, I will tell you way more about Freaknik probably offline than I will online. But, uh, it was a, it was, it was Black Spring Break, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of relegated to that time. Like going to school and being in college, you had to study. It was a criteria. You couldn't, if you failed or you got below a C, maybe it's because a lot of students um, in Black colleges, you had to keep up a certain grade point average um, to remain in school to keep your grants. So anyway, I thought it was a very interesting thing that 
um, they utilize this time. There was no school. There was no class. <laughs> there was mm-hmm. no studying. Um, uh, and and that did that did that strike you as strange? That's I'm thinking about it now, and that's like a great point. And that I think when you see these characters coming from white privilege, you're it's almost like a rum springer for them. It's a one one chapter of their life ends, and now they are in this party phase of their life. And I think a lot of people who come from privilege that might be one approach to how they do college. But you're absolutely right. I identified more with like the hitting the books, stomp the yard um, mentality because all the characters, even though they were uh, passionate about their extracurricular project of dancing, you still see them like DJ is still studying, and everyone is still. Um, you you would imagine pulling off good grades and studious. And for myself, I was one of those people who went to college later in life because I couldn't afford it when I was college aged. And when I was in class, it was all about getting the grades, hitting the books and, you know, no, no extracurricular kind of funny party business. So I think that's almost an out now that college is so expensive and people generation after generation have gotten poorer and poorer with less wealth. I think that's an outmoded way to approach going to college where you are the animal house kind of party style. Well, I think it's, I think you're, I think it's still the same actually in terms of privilege. So if my dad um, has dedicated a a building, then I can do whatever I want. You're going to give me the grades I want. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, So if you are privileged and there's people doing Harvard and Stanford like that still, I'm sure where uh, just partying it up and they know they're, they went into the experience rich. They're going to come out with a cushy job because of their family connections and wealth. So, Hey, just uh, party your way through the college. Yeah, and I think that kind of takes us to another point in the story uh, with Stomp the Yard with April and her father being the um, head of the school, um, the, the, the man, the, um, the name. Was he a dean or what is his position? The head over the school. I don't, I'm sorry, blanking. But the point being that um, there's an expectation of her to marry well, right? Yes. And yeah. It has been um, arranged that way with the uh, character who who ends up being her her boyfriend, her um, her love interest, Grant, and he's you know been identified as the next uh, in this law prestigious law firm, and and she's expected um, because of her place and position in life to marry well. That is a thing. That is definitely. Um, the modus operandi for women going to college in general. This is when I'm going to jump on my women bandwagon. And, um, you know, from, from historically women going to college have been seen like, this is a great time for you to go find your husband. Like mm-hmm. it's you know, a meat market as opposed to getting yourself um, together, finding your career, finding your path, your voice, your interests. And if you happen to find uh, a man and a, a husband, then so be it. But that's kind of like a, a old, a old stereotype or an old um, expectation still being seen and in, in, in played out in this film. And I thought that was interesting. That was the same with the girls in Animal House. I felt like that was all they were there for. They were literally like walking, talking Barbie dolls. Like, oh, yeah. What, what is this? 
and even Karen, uh, what Karen Allen, her character, uh, she was trying to pull her her boyfriend into being more responsible and more more studious. The Katie character, yeah. and but she, other than being that magnet to try to improve her partner, like what are her wants? What are her goals with this this college? It's you don't see it. It's a very um, testosterone machismo environment that we're thrown into. Yeah. And, you know, it, so overall, the storyline of Animal House, um, it's not particularly witty. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of like a, a fun ride. I'm assuming these things were um, cutting edge when this took place back in 1978. Uh, clearly, yeah. I was barely uh, a, a human yet. I mean, I guess. Well, I will say I like I'll tip the hat to Animal House in the way that it did kind of create a new template for that style of comedy that a lot of movies that came later, like the American Pie and Old School and those kind of movies, absolutely definitely owe something to tonally. So that it was fresh and new in the sense of what a comedy movie could be, but you could take that for better or for worse because maybe we don't need all the movies that came out after it. It certainly. Well, I guess- my Animal House would have been Revenge of the Nerds, which I absolutely loved. So thanks to this, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I definitely recognize that this the that Animal House was the precursor to Revenge of the Nerds, which was um, actually a lot more fun for me. That yeah. like that that series. And even though <laughs> even though some of those like '80s comedies were not inclusive, they weren't what you would call PC. That template has room to grow, and I I've, I see other movies that. I would consider in the same style, but are open to a wider audience, like say your Harold and Kumar movies or the movie, how high. Yes. Um, and Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. <laughs> one of my faves, mm-hmm. but you know, all of these national lampoon series, which was, uh, I, I found out a magazine. I didn't know it was. A- oh Yeah. Um, a magazine back in the day. I had no idea. Why would I? And it's born um, out of the elite. It's born out of like the Harvard elite comedy writer, the, all the people that went on to con, kind of control and rule com, comedy writing. It clearly, it clearly rings true. Like, you know, of course, one of my favorites was Vacation. So National Lampoon Vacation, which I had um, just so happened because we're in quarantine and uh, we're seeing, we're consuming uh, a massive amount of media. Uh, I had just watched National Lampoon Vacation and Chevy Chase uh, was definitely one of my favorites during my younger years. But it it, it held within the same um, theme of still being racist, <laughs> still having yeah. subtle, you know, undertones that I thought was great you know, during the 80s, and I was just like, hey, wait a second, that's super racist. Like, oh my gosh, did they just, like, um, roll through St. Louis and get their... I'm like, I can't right now. It's really... even, And even as a kid, I remember laughing at those jokes, so it, like, makes right. me oh. feel retroactively kind of hate myself, because now um, I'm maybe a little smarter and more enlightened person now to some extent and it's just kind of sad that all those 80s even into the 90s comedies are kind of tainted by this racialized humor yeah i think that's kind of like where we find ourselves uh divided in this country there's not very many people who um 
know one another personally, like you and I, like, yeah, Jared's crazy, but it's not because he's white. He's just because just he's a Jared, right? Mm-hmm. Or Danielle, she's a weirdo because she's Danielle, not necessarily because I'm black. Um, if you haven't noticed, I'm the black one and, and he's the, the white one. Um, if you haven't guessed from our voices. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I think that that is not typically how we kind of align ourselves, right? Right. So would we, would you and I end up have been friends uh, without a work forced work scenario? No, mm-hmm. right? that's just, we're just two different people, right? Yeah, but I'm not friends with anyone really, so. We tend to segregate, self-segregate, mm-hmm. um, find ourselves in scenarios uh, that are clearly just going along different paths. So I don't think we should beat ourselves up or retroactively hate ourselves because we laughed at a, a racist joke or did something. You know, you just do better when you know better. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing, I, can I mention one thing I liked about Stomp the R too that you yeah. brought to mind? Mm-hmm. The I like that it has a class component to it too. Like Animal House, they're all privileged dudes who I don't really feel any kind of similarity with. But in Stomp the Yard, in the love triangle you were talking about, uh, the generational love triangle, there's a component of class to it. It's uh, the dean of the school versus the guy who runs the custodial department. And now DJ's coming in and he's still kind of the underdog He's the street dancer, the lower class guy, and he's looked down upon by his his student peers. So I I appreciated that this film had that element of class within it. I think this that we're seeing this today. So um, I think I wrote a, a post about it on my Facebook page um, because it, it annoys me to no end that uh, celebrities speak for black people that people who have some sort of profile, high profile, whether they're an actor or uh, athlete or some sort of entertainer, somehow they've been given a microphone to ask about things of importance such as COVID-19. I don't want to fucking hear what you have to say Mm -hmm. about COVID-19 because you have money in your bank account. That doesn't help me. We have doctors that have brown skin as well. So let's let's talk to those people. But so for me, there is always a class structure. And in the black community, because the mass, it's like people are addressing this particular scenario that we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And they're talking about comorbidities. And they're talking about how black people are um, heavier and 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 they are you know more prone to diabetes and heart disease and stress and you know but ignoring uh, for a large part some people do uh, the fact that they're essential workers because they've been kept out of the private sector and yeah. white collar crime white collar jobs right and so they don't have the 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 capacity to social distance or they live in households with multiple generations of people who are stacked up on top of each other so if somebody is a white <laughs> collar worker you know, and their work from home, but somebody else within the household may have to go out all the time mm-hmm. and then continue to expose them. So it's like, you know, we intentionally um, deal with different dynamics within the black community when it comes to uh, wealth and wealth disparities, even within the culture. And so uh, black people overall, for, uh, in a, as a whole in this country, um, are, are less rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Period. It doesn't matter. And, and we're talking about the totality of the group, not a percentage of the percentage who happens to be wealthy. Right. Yeah. 
And so, yes, there is always, even in, in any culture, so uh, Black culture is no exception, um, that people with money want you to marry people with money. Who wants, you know, that to be dragged down? Everybody wants the best for their child, supposedly. So it is definitely one of those things that um, is seen um, or demonstrated or shown within this movie, and it is a reflection of a... Um, I guess the striverism yes. that um, to ascend uh, and to call yourself successful, you have to um, either be more <laughs> like the white man and yeah. uh, that means wealth and, and success and whatever that thing is, even though you can't a- attain it. So, so you get to the Huxtable status and you kind of close the door behind you. Right. And there are no Huxtables or if there are, there's so few that can you bring up more. So it's always one of those things that if there's a Huxtable, there's a Claire and, you know, uh, Bill, whatever the hell his name was, Cliff Huxtable. Um, are you are you training a your all your five kids to be walking your footsteps? And are you, you know, bringing their friends um, to do the same? Yeah. Um, or are they going to end up being? you know, janitors. What ends up being in black communities is not that ascension to continually step up, but it happens to be something that usually goes down um, and that you lose ground in, you know, decades over decades. Right. Yeah. That is, that has been the experience for the most part. So, you know, it's problematic. I think that, um, you know, clearly Animal House didn't have as many reflective points or any real substance to kind of like draw from um, to compare it to, but we saw it within just kind of like the, what was not said. I I think Animal House had that kind of simplistic, anarchaic, our generation versus your generation uh, kind of thing where it was just anti-establishment for the sake of it without kind of defining the enemies. But, um, Thank you for articulating because we are in this COVID-19 crisis. So I'm really happy we got to get into it a little bit because just like you brilliantly put it, what COVID-19 is doing is it's illuminating. It's a healthcare crisis on top of uh, already simmering economic racial crises we have. And it only is, as you put it, making it worse for certain communities. Like it is the, the black community that's relegated to the part of town where there's um, more pollution. So you might have higher rates of asthma and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when, and when a, yeah, and it's, it's the black community that's kind of pushed into sub subpar healthcare plans. And if you show up to the hospital, you're less likely to get not only the ventilator, but you're less likely to get the test that'll determine if you even need the ventilator. So um, it, it's absolutely staggering and um, maddening, but not shocking that, we're what we're seeing how the COVID-19 is um, affecting the black community over say like the white community or even just the, the moneyed rich, rich people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to not to put too fine of a point on it, but 
when it is something that is that hits home. I know multiple people who have gone in and, and, and have been symptomatic mm-hmm. um, and been turned away um, because it wasn't enough symptoms. Like, you know, if you're basically not, you know, drugging here on a stretcher or crawling on the floor of the dirty ass ER, um, then you don't need a test and you're, you're making this up. And so it's that tendency of, of people to not be believed, um, which, uh, not for nothing. They don't know what the fuck they're doing anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So they're only treating symptoms. So uh, it's not as if, you know, because of our glaring issues, we've had to figure out um, how to not ask the right questions. So yeah. we've sat here um, having idiot arguments because, and we can't get to the proper address the issues that actually are bothering us, right? Um, but that, that's standard. What are you going to do? So to get back to our movies here, I thought it was um, pretty bullshit that DJ, he got got put on uh, double secret probation just because the word got out that his brother got killed. And I'm like, how are you going to punish this person because he just happened to be there when his brother got killed? Well, no, actually, that was a fault of the filmmaking and he went to he went to jail. So he was in jail because of it. He had a yeah. public defender and the public defender um, didn't, um, you know, basically uh, cop the plea. So that was kind of like a, it was actually a very important part that I hate that they skimmed over. Yeah. Which was that, you know, you can get railroaded into, um, and that is the norm, you know, that is the, uh, not the exception. It is the rule. Yeah. So, so, so DJ suffered several, um, uh, you know, un, un, injustices. His first inju- injustice was his brother got killed. The second one was he was criminalized for it in the in the racist court system. Uh, whereas he, instead of being seen as a victim um, alongside his brother, he got just because he was there at the time, he got unjustly um, punished for it. Yes, he copped a plea, and so he. You know, and that's why he says when he goes in there, if I had told you, I wouldn't be here right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it was interesting. And I think that his his advocacy for himself in, in terms of just trying to be a better person, I, I like that trajectory of of his, his character arc of trying to, you know, learn and right his wrongs and, and how they kept re- reintroducing the theme of, of teamwork and how working together is much more uh, better than this individual uh, individualistic mentality or the selfish mentality, which his brother was trying to explain to him from the beginning. And I think that if that is something that is not as also kind of anti-American, uh, right? And we, we promote the individual, the Superman, the superheroes, the uh, quote-unquote white man saves the day. And in, in our communities, it's so imperative that we stick together. Like it's group work, group think that has even got us to um, the place that we have been to to persevere in spite of. So I thought that because um, that's what the as HBCUs were all about was to you know stronger together that that was a good thing to kind of like move along with the trajectory of this film. A little background of the uh, filmmakers, Rob Hardy and uh, Will Packer, who are producers for this movie, they are FAMU um, graduates. They went to Florida State University. 
um, or Florida A&M, excuse me, <laughs> Florida A&M University, and they were, um, you know, this is their experience, and mm. I think that this was one of their uh, primary things. So they started out working together, you know, one was a director, one was a producer, they produced several movies together early on before splitting um one of their earliest movies being the twa series uh about threesomes and whatnots but then they you know progressively went up and and um did more uh higher budget films this being their first big one together before they kind of split i think they split after takers mm-hmm. um but it, it it reflected their experience and their uh, and in in the HBCU system, so I thought that that was a uh, um, a very good way that that you kind of like let art imitate life, and vice versa. Yeah, and the uh, director of Stomp the Art, I looked into him a little bit. He's a he's a French guy, so this is kind of like a French art film, then, right? He's Sylvain White. He's a uh, he's a black man from France. <laughs> Sullivan, yeah. How, how do you pronounce his name, Sullivan? Sullivan White, yeah. Why does he have to no. sp- spell it a French way? Uh, hell if I know. <laughs> um, you know, Sullivan White, um, uh, you know, not not the worst director out there, but definitely this was intended to be very straightforward, standard fare. This is not to be, although it did use a lot of, especially in the beginning, to kind of like draw you in, which I think that opening sequence, that dance sequence draws you in with that mm-hmm. music video style, you know, real, real visceral, energetic opening that, I still sit and watch to this day as if it's my first time watching it. It's very entertaining for me. Um, so kudos to them for that. However, um, Sullivan, um, as a as a director, you know, if you have brown skin, everybody's black. So anybody browner than you is black. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just kind of not the case. So, you know, not for nothing. I, I'm not going to go into who I'm not going to sit here and put my ducks in a row and who's black and who's not, but meaning it's who identifies. Yeah. Right. That is, that that's the most important, but he did a good job. Well, France has its own terrible history of racism that even carries out to this day and the recent riots and stuff. So I'm sure he can identify with the thematic content, um, even being from France. Yeah. Um, There are whole cultures that um, decide that, they are going to pretend like there are no black people there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. A lot of uh, uh, Latin, Hispanic, uh, I hate saying Hispanic. That is that like Latin so, X. La, okay, whatever. Latin X. Spanish speaking. Yeah. That's all I can say. But our, but our, uh, yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. We, we disagree on some points, we agree on others, but can we both agree that Louis Louis is the greatest song of all time? No. Oh, okay. Well, if you, if you watch Animal House, you hear Louie Louie, I think, for like 30% of the movie. No, it was fun. Listen, a shout, uh, you know, like, you make me, uh, uh, you know, those are just like, kidding me? Of course. I, as problematic as that whole party and fraternity is, I would have honestly had fun at that party because I love <laughs> dancing to that like energetic soul R&B music. It's just good ass music. Well, yeah. I mean, look, uh, first of all, I don't know how Jim Belushi didn't die several times during the filming. Of- oh, you, this is John Belushi. 
Damn. Not to be mistaken for uh, his more talented brother, Jim Belushi. Sorry. Well, <laughs> no. Not too early, how will we know? Excuse me. John Belushi. I'm yeah. Jim because he's been dead for a long time. No, Jim's alive. John's dead. You know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Why are their parents going to name them Jim and John? How, how, how creative were those parents? Hey, they're like, this is kid one, kid two. <laughs> Thing <Yeah>. one, two. <laughs> they should have named uh, uh, Jim Belushi coattails. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if they have a daughter named Jane. Um, but yeah, like it just felt like, uh, is this guy seriously going to jump? Like he just seemed like on the edge the whole entire time. I just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was very rapey. It, it has some very um, homoerotic scenes in it. Yeah. You know, with the skulls and the, you know, the darkness of their fraternities on the, yeah. you know, it, it was just kind of freaky, but you know, it fem- was- yeah, feminist podcast would have a lot more to say about Animal House than we necessarily can get into, but there's problematic points to say the least. I think we've given a pass um, in the past to comedies, yeah, um, and so I don't know why we give passes to comedies because I think comedies take advantage of that. <laughs> I wouldn't give it a pass. I personally give it like an asterisk where it's like, hey, let's talk about this. But still, some of the I, – I can't lie to you and say I don't enjoy Animal House. Some of it, the timing of the comedy, uh, the charisma of John Belushi, I do, I do still see a lot of the comedy making me laugh in that movie. Yeah. Well, and listen, Donald Sutherland <laughs> in the movie, I, was, I thought he was great. <laughs> and I think it's like the same year or around the same era, like um, – uh, it, Body Snatchers came out, and it's like God, Don Donald Sutherland. You're, he was so good back then. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think he's one of the most underrated um, actors around. I, I I enjoy him from from the beginning. But no, this this actually did uh, churn out some iconic figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the kid who plays Amadeus later. I don't know what happened to him now, but he was uh, in the '80s. He was a thing. Um, Kevin Kevin Bacon's in there, so pin this movie for your six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, I I mentioned Louie Louie. I have to mention like the sound. There are some songs that just absolutely whip on the Stomp the Yard soundtrack. My favorite being is the E40 track, which has like probably the the greatest montage scene in Stomp the Yard. Now, how, what, did you enjoy hearing that track as a big E40 fan yourself, Danielle? You can insert crickets here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, of course, antagonizing Danielle because I think we've fought about this before. And I correctly acknowledge that E-40 is like um, at, the, at the, top, the, the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. And uh, Danielle disagrees. Uh, adamantly, yes. Um, he has a place in history, you know, 90s hip hop. And, um, you know, my son likes him, which is problematic for me. Mm-hmm. But I do require uh, headphones for those moments. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, the music in Stomp the Yard, um, even I will agree that even E-40 was entertaining, uh, for the sake of the movie, the, the, the music, the dancing, uh, the, the good looking men. I mean, let me tell you, especially for that time period, those guys were, um, the shit. Okay. Cause I was not mad at them at all. Um, so I enjoyed it on so many levels. I really liked Megan Good. I thought she was just um, 
you know, a, a little, you know, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, that that was such a non-statement. I don't think I said. I, I totally got what you're saying. Like the, <laughs> to me, both of these movies are somewhat kind of misogynistic, testosterone Very. movies. So we're we're like none none of the wonderful female actors in these movies really got to be fully realized their characters. Even I would say counterpoint Karen Allen in um, in Animal House. She's as slight as her character is. She's terrific in that. Yeah, I find it to be very common, a very common theme for anything made, oh God, prior to who knows Wonder Woman, um, yeah. that there can't, women can't outshine men and then men can't, uh, you know, they can't go along the same intelligence trajectory, which I find just so weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, no, the whole point is that you try and meet somebody at your level, I, yeah. I thought. No, I guess apparently not. Um, the last thing, I guess, before my computer dies um, was legacy that I wanted to talk about. Um, this talks about legacy a lot in Stomp the Yard, but it is inherent in um, Animal House, right? We talked about that with with what they, why throw in what they became if it's not about that, right? So clearly that's what you were in college for in the first place and that you're there it was almost as if they were saying that um, these fraternities that you're in, because it starts out with these two young men uh, in Animal House going and looking for the right fraternity. So knowing that that is a thing, that you need that to get to the next level because you do your, you know, you have the secret handshake or the ring when you go and apply for jobs, um, that you do, they, that it is known that you must follow along that path. Same thing in, in Stomp the Yard, that that thing still lasts to this day. Um, that legacy that you build and, and um, people who are members are, are, are forever members of that fraternity. I was personally never a joiner um, and, you know, didn't have that kind of, I didn't see the value in it um, at the time in college when I was in, in college. Um, I don't necessarily regret not joining a sorority because I don't think I'm that kind of person, but I, I do see the value of, of that kind of camaraderie and that kind of building that kind of legacy and, and um, finding the value within that. Um, yeah. And your comment on legacy, the characters have stomped the yard because they have built this fraternal brotherly relationship. And because honestly they're doing the work and hitting the books you it's implied that they're going to go off and have a good life after the, after the main event. DJ still has three years of college left ahead of him. I think when we leave him, he was just a freshman, but yeah, animal house makes a point of having those end, end title slate cards just to show you, Hey, don't worry. Even though these privileged assholes blew, got expelled and blew up the whole town, they're all still going to go on to leave wonderful lives of, Wealth right, and privilege. they didn't just tear up the college. They went outside and tore up the whole damn main. <laughs> they punished the whole city and ruined the beautiful parade. <laughs> um, also, what you don't know, what you may not know, is that the boule class, which is what they refer to um, the black Greeks in, um, and and the black higher crest, I guess, uh, upper crest, are the people who represent us in Congress. They are the uh, Kamala Harris's of the world. They are the 
uh, Jim Claiborne's of the world, that is who you're looking at and exclusively. So just know that um, it's almost like the black version of the secret society that the rest of the world doesn't understand. They might've gotten a whiff of it with Kamala Harris uh, presenting her AKA uh, uh, letters or whatever, the Greek letters. But most people that you don't know, they are very linked into this, this class. And there is a um, uh, mindset that goes along with it that does not necessarily align with um, the thinking class people of, you know, of, 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 of political, mm-hmm. the political realm. So that's, that's just a gym. <laughs> and their own self-interest at, at the core of their values. Yeah, no, we totally could talk about this all day um, because it, it does overlap in, into so many different things. I think college being um, one of those pivotal moments, if you do decide to go and, and not deciding to go is kind of like a decision, right? So, uh, of course, having a a master's degree in business, they talk about opportunity costs a lot and um, what it costs you in terms of your salary, in terms of your prestige and starting in in terms of your um, connections and and trajectory in life. um, It means a lot. And I think that's why we see a lot of movies. We don't see a lot of movies about the fraternal organizations and the, the sororities, but we do see a lot of college movies because it is such a pivotal times in our, in our lives, probably even much more so than high school, right? Um, in grammar school, because um, it's your launching pad into adulthood. So um, actually both of these movies, uh, one being <laughs> more entertaining. Um, and if you sit there and read the context, and if I was a, you know, one who smokes the weed, uh, I probably would get a lot more out of Animal House <laughs> than yeah. I actually did. Um, but, you know, I think they're worth seeing. Uh, I would suggest going to check out School Days if you want to see a serious version mm-hmm. of, uh, of of Stomp the Yard. Mm-hmm. What about you? What, do you? what would you suggest in terms of a serious version of Animal House? Because I can't think of one. Oh, God, I don't know. It's probably like some Skull and Bones movie. I was thinking about Skull and Bones, right? Yeah. Uh, but Joshua Jackson, I don't know if I could take him serious, even though he was pretty good in Little Fires Everywhere. But anyway, that's... Yeah, something that shows the dark side of the, these um, these kind of Ivy League privileged people. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the takedown is, is necessary, but I think it is... Um, I did like... Oh, I did like the... What's his name? Facebook guy. Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, this uh, social network. Oh, and I like uh, Goodwill Hunting. So I think those were, even though they don't focus on the, but they do have some uh, conversations about some in-depth uh, conversations about the social realities of college. Cool. Well, we can we can leave it at that. And listeners, you can disagree with us or chime in with your comments about these movie, movies in the comments wherever you're listening to this or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Uh, and Danielle, you and I will continue to social distance and continue watching movies and talking about them. But when this is all over, we're going to a toga party, right? Okay. All right. Toodaloo. All right. Bye.